All right, real quick. Here are four unrelated stories, all with a common bond. First, let's go back to November 20th, 1982. For the 85th time, Cal and Stanford are involved in a heated contest. After a wild game, Stanford, led by young John Elway, takes the lead with just four seconds left. The Stanford fans and band are already celebrating, and why shouldn't they? The game is over. One final play begins as Stanford kicks short to Cal. A mad scramble ensues. Laterals follow near tackles, then a blind over-the-shoulder lateral. A mad race to the end zone. Down goes the Stanford trombonist as the touchdown is scored. The unthinkable happens, and Cal wins. As it turns out, it wasn't over. How about this one? Meet the Lilies, Russell and Terry. It's 2001. Their 10-year marriage has been a constant source of frustration. A vicious cycle of selfishness, fighting, and isolation has left them both exhausted, angry, and done. Never mind the vows. Never mind the two young boys. This one is beyond hope. This marriage is over. Following their divorce, Russell becomes a follower of Christ, and Terry begins to notice the transformation taking place in Russell. Hardened hearts soften. The relationship begins to heal. Forgiveness is sought and granted. In 2007, they remarry. The one that became two is now one again. Then there's Raylene Coopersmith. It's January 2008. Ray suffers a cerebral hemorrhage. Declaring her brain dead, the doctors remove her breathing tubes. Knowing that it's over, the hospital releases Ray to her family so she can be taken home to die comfortably. Meanwhile, Ray's family plans her funeral. But someone forgot to tell Ray that it was over. At home, Ray suddenly wakes up. She's checked again by her doctors, who cannot believe that she's still alive, much less alert and healthy. Funeral plans have now turned into vacation plans for Ray and her family. Logically devoid of hope, legally divorced, literally dead, everyone thought it was over. It's not the first time. Flashback almost 2,000 years. A man claiming to be the long-anticipated Messiah is unfairly accused. Offered up to the lying crowds by a Roman official, the supposed Savior is flogged, mocked, tortured, and beaten. He is nailed to a tree and crucified. He dies and is buried. Hopes that he is the Messiah fade away. It is finished. Friends scatter. Disciples hide. Evil celebrates. And for three days, it is over. But on the third day, there's an empty grave. Evil has lost its victory. Death has lost its sting. Suddenly, miraculously, the only thing that is now over is hopelessness. Four stories. One message. It's not over, even when it's over. So Nike has a phrase, and you know what, it's, what it is. What is it? Just do it. Burger King has a phrase. Have it your way. And Easter has a phrase. And I want you to hear it this morning because you're going to say it over and over again. It's not over even when it's over. Say that with me. Okay, now don't say it like a bunch of monks. Say it like, like you're at a, a, a Browns or a Steelers game or a Bills game. Ready? It's not over even when it's over. That's the truth. See, that's why we've gathered here today. And some of you are here today because you have been seeing the signs. We've all been seeing the signs within our world and in our region of people who are giving up. A man kills his five children and then himself because his wife separates from him and he says it's over. Another man rushes into an immigrant center because he's lost his job and he kills 13 and then himself because he thinks it's over. A man discouraged ambushes three cops in Pittsburgh because he thinks it's over. Easter tells us what? It's not over even when it's over. So Jesus of Nazareth walks into a synagogue. 
He's a visiting rabbi, and so custom is that you give the scroll to the visiting rabbi and allow him to read and to instruct. And so he reads these words from the prophet Isaiah, and Luke records it in Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you know what he just read? He just read the job description of the anointed one. They would call the anointed one the Messiah. He said, when the Messiah shows up, these are the things he will do. He will, he will open up blind eyes and he will bring God's favor and then he will release the captives and he will give good news to the poor. He will change the world you're living in when that Messiah arrives. And Jesus said, today, at this moment, that has been fulfilled. Fulfilled. It's a great word. The original meaning of fulfilled is to cram the net so full that there's no more room. You ever gone on vacation and you pack the trunk? Pastor John, you've got like 300 kids. <laughs> do, you, do you ever think that you got everything in the trunk and they come back out with more? And then what you got to do is you got you to sit down on the trunk to get it to go down. And when you, when you back up, it's just it's bowed out. And you know if you open that thing, it's all going to come springing out. That's the word fulfilled. The prophecy of that Messiah is now packed full with the presence of Jesus. And the, and the power of that Messiah is oozing out of Jesus at that moment. For he has just left the wilderness where he went in the spirit of the power, but, uh, the power of the spirit, but he, he comes out with this incredible power now that is, is being exercised and people are seeing it. Because here's the problem we face. We think it's over because all we see is this. This little bit right here is, is our life, and, and, and this is all the resource I have, and, and, and these are all the only people I know, and this is the only chance I've got, and all of that has run out, and so I'm stuck, and it's over. But the Messiah doesn't come from this place. The Messiah is in a different place. He's a place that, that we call the heavenlies. He's in a place where the Scripture says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, the Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. Do this. We've done this before, but let's do it again. Put your hand like this. That's, that's all you got. That's it. That's it. That, and when that's done, you've got nothing else. It's over. Until you move your hand back. Now move your hand back. Suddenly there's space. There are people. There are resources. There are opportunities. And the Messiah said, when I show up in your life, I'm going to bring you a dimension that you didn't know there, that was there with power and presence and opportunity. Because it's not over. It is not over. But you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Friday says you're dead. Friday says all hope is gone. Friday says it's over. Oh, but see, it's not over even when it's over. Friday says to you, he broke up with you. It's over. Friday says to you, you got laid off. It's over. Friday says to you that the doctors couldn't save your child. It's over. Friday says you failed the final. It's over. Friday says the divorce papers just got served. It's over. Friday screams finality. And if Friday screams finality, then Saturday burns with regret. Man, if only. If only. I hadn't smothered him so much and, and, and given him time with the guys, he, he wouldn't have broken up with me. If, if only, if only I'd gotten a second opinion. If only I had gone to that study group. If only I had worked second shift instead of first shift. If only, if only, if, if only I would have listened to her all these years as she's telling me she's not happy and now it's over. If only. So if Friday... Is finality and Saturday screams and burns with regret. 
It is into that this Messiah walks. And he says this, and say it with me. It's not over, even when it's over. Now, do the football screen, would you? It, do it again. It's not over, even when it's over. See, with, with the Messiah, there are no dead ends because, because he is before time and after time. He is the beginning and the end, which means he just keeps going because there is no end to him. So when the Messiah enters into your world, there is no end. He just spent three short years creating intense controversy because he kept interrupting assumed endings. Oh, man, you're going to die of leprosy. And Jesus says, come here. There, fresh flesh. Go on. Oh, man, you're going to be crippled for the rest of your life. No, 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 no. That, that mat you're, you're on, roll that thing up and, and tuck it under your arm and, and get on your way. Because it's not over. Oh, man. You're never going to have close friends. Nobody likes you. And Jesus says, hey, I'll come have lunch at your place. Come on. And when Jesus is done, you're going to have more friends than you than you can know what to do with. You're going to always carry that stigma of being demon girl. But when Jesus meets her soon, he says, they'll remember you not for demon girl, but they're going to remember you remember you for the worshiper that I've made you. And oh, man, you walk around, loser. It's what you are. And Jesus spends time with loser. And then when Jesus gets ready to leave this world, this earth, he says, okay, you're in charge of the operation. Go for it. Now, you would think with that kind of power that people would be running to Jesus saying, yeah, Messiah. Jesus was, was walking by the Sea of Galilee and, and, and Peter and the, and the brothers and, and the, the gang that worked the ships for, for fishing were, were, were bringing them up on shore and they hadn't caught anything all night long. How many of you fishermen have never caught anything? I mean, I mean you, what, at some point you didn't catch something. You just, it, it didn't work. I, I know about the one that got away, but you didn't, you didn't, you just didn't get it. See, this isn't, this isn't sport fishing. This is commercial fishing. This is their livelihood. Without the fish, they get no food and they get, they get no sustenance. They got nothing. And so it, it's drastic because they, they've got nothing. They fished all night long. And Jesus walks up and says, you know, just pull those back out there and, and throw over on, on that deeper side over there. Now, this, this is a carpenter telling these fishermen what to do. And Peter, he just, he, he's, he's, first of all, I think he's kind of ticked, but then he's just rather amazed. He said, well, you know, we fished all night and we didn't get anything. We know these, these waters, but because you said so, we'll do this. They put in the nets and they feel so full that the nets begin to burst. And then when they try to put the fish on the boats, the boats about swamp. Now, you would think that, that Peter then would, would come to the shore and run up to Jesus and say, do it again, Lord, do it again. So good. Instead, he runs up and he says, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. Why? Because when you see that kind of power there, that Jesus isn't a fish finder. Jesus made the fish come to that place. He's got that power. I mean, wouldn't you like, you fishermen, wouldn't you like to be able to just say to that steelhead, get on that hook? Would that not be cool? People at first would say, cool. Then they look at you and say, whoa, whoa, what's that power coming out of you? Well, Jesus, he can control those things. He's got such power. And if Jesus has that kind of power, what's he do with people that disappoint him? That's scary. Because Peter knows that he disappoints a lot of people. And so he says, go. Because here's the deal. What we can't control, we don't trust. See, you would think that the religious leaders would run to Jesus when he's doing all this Messiah stuff and say, Messiah, Messiah. Oh, but they don't because what you can't control, you don't trust. And so they concoct these charges against him and conspire with the Romans. And then they beat him and they hang him on a cross and he dies and they put him in a tomb. And it's over. What are we saying this morning? It's not over, 
even when it's over. See, that was Friday. Now comes Sunday. And here's what happens. Matthew records it. After the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to keep vigil at the tomb. Suddenly, the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angels came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing, and he rolled back the stone and sat on it. Shafts of lightning blazed from him. His garments shimmered snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. I would be. They were frightened, so frightened they couldn't move. The angel spoke to the women. There's nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He's not here. He was raised just as he said. Come look at the place. Look, look at it. That's where he was laying. Now get on your way quickly and tell the disciples he's risen from the dead and he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him here, there. That is the message. And you know how they responded? Here's what Matthew says. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very, what? Frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. It's amazing to me that they were, they were just pumped. They were so excited, but they were really scared. Why? Because what you can't control, you don't trust. How do you relate to that kind of power? What's he going to do next? Jesus, then, if he's risen from the dead and even dead can't hold him, and then, then he's, he's, he's like a loose cannon. And he's probably pretty ticked off at the people who put him there. Is he going to just go incredible Hulk on us and just, just turn in this green monster that tears down buildings? There's nothing really more frightening than an almighty God with an attitude. So the angels say, give those guys a message. And the message is frightening in itself. The angels say, I'm giving you a message. Here it is. And Jesus says, you can't stop my power. Now, see, that's great, but that's scary. Because what's he going to do with that power? So if the angels gave a message, then Jesus personally was a message. And don't miss this. Don't miss this on Easter Sunday because we talk about the resurrection power, but don't miss what's behind the resurrection power. The angels said, Jesus is saying, you can't stop my power. Jesus is saying, my love is greater than my power. See, they'd messed up. Now what's going to happen to them? How many of you guys here today are married or you're dating somebody? Okay. As you've been married or you're dating, have you begun to discover the power of a woman? It is so scary, isn't it? Sometimes you see that power and you have no idea why it's there and what it's doing and it just scares you. Did you ever make a mistake and you feared that power? Oh, it happened this week for me. <laughs> the day it snowed, we have a friend that was leaving town, had to go out of town for about 24 hours, and so we wanted him to, to drive Pam's all-wheel drive instead of the vehicle they had. So at about 6 in the morning on the day it snowed, we exchanged vehicles. So he pulled his vehicle in our garage. We shut the garage, and Pam and I finished getting ready to go to our separate places of work. And... <clears throat> And so I wanted to really be nice to Pam, so I went to go get the garage door opener out of the cupboard that most of us have in our kitchen that has everything that we don't know what to do with. You have one of those? Just it all gets cluttered in there. So I began looking, and it's not there, it's not there. And I mean, there's just so much stuff in there, and I'm starting to pull it down, and I really want to get out of my way. And, and so now I'm just starting to pull stuff down. I was being real quiet before, and now I'm just pulling the stuff down because I just got to find the garage door opener. So then I yell at Pam and say, Pam, where's the garage door opener? You're supposed to keep it in the cupboard because, you know, I've always told you to keep it in this cupboard so that we'll never lose it because it's got to be in this cupboard. Where is it? It wasn't, where is it? It was, where is it? She said, well, check the junk drawer. So we got one of those too. So, so I pull out the drawer. It's not in the drawer. So now she comes out. 
And so because I'm a guy, obviously, I don't have good eyesight. So she checks the cupboard. But she didn't find it. So I said, where could it be? She said, well, check the laundry room. What's it doing in the laundry room? She said, I don't know, because it's not in the cupboard. It's not in the drawer. Check the laundry room. I'll go in the laundry room. I'm looking. And I go, it's not in the laundry room. She said, well, check the garage. Why would it be in the garage? Hey, I should just go look at Country Fair. Let's go look over there. So I look in the garage. I come. It's not there. So I go back to the same cupboard where I have torn it apart, and she's torn it apart, and I go through it again because somehow it'll appear in there. It's not there. Now you need to understand how personalities start to blend at this moment. <laughs> See, we've been we've been studying personalities here, and and Pastor John has led us in that, and then. Uh, in our financial peace university class on Wednesdays, we just went through that. And so my wife is a very high I. She is, uh, others will call a sanguine. She is a party person. If it's not fun, why do it? That's her, that's her motto. And, and if it's boring, she'll spice it up. She's just, it loves parties. She just, she's the people person. In fact, statistics say about 25% of the people in this room right now are those high I people. Who are those people? Just raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. You're partiers, and, and it's great to have you on Easter Sunday morning because we rock when you're here. It's good. Now, the flip side of the I personality is that they're so into the relationship and the engaging of the fun is that they don't pay attention to details, and they lose things. In fact, they say that not only will a high I or a sanguine lose the keys, they will lose the car. <laughs> so I start saying to her, because I got to tell you that I'm a I'm a high C, which is a detailed person, an analytical person who wants things where they're supposed to be. And so I always say, put it where it needs to be. It'll always be there when you want it. And and so I, I begin because a high C's feel it is their godly duty to instruct high eyes as to how to do that. The problem is that high eyes don't consider it fun, so they don't listen at all. So I, I start through this routine, you know, if you just put it back where, I mean, we've been married 33 years. I should know better than this. And, and we're grownups, but I start down like she's a three-year-old. Now, if you would put it back where it needs to be, it would be there when I come to get the thing, but it's not there. And, and, and then I, I really, I really did a stupid thing. I then began to recall the other things that had been lost. Not a good thing. So I get done with all that, and now we're both frustrated, and, and I just say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go now. I'm going to go back to the office. I'm probably going to have to go online and order, because it was our last remote control. We've already lost one. Guess who? And so, <laughs> so I go out just... And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go find, I'm going to have to order another one now and just find a way to do it. And, and I'm just, and, and, and I'm saying, I've got to go now. And so I get in my car and I back it out of the garage and, and I go to close the garage door and, and my cars have where you can, you can put it in the car itself and it's just part of the car. You just push a button and it goes. I had forgotten that in the last three months I have a new vehicle and I start to close the garage door and I go, oh, wait a minute. And I reach in the glove box. There's the remote. I put it there three months ago. Now I'm scared of the power. I'm so scared that I actually contemplated this driving away, waiting to the middle of the day when she's gone, go back in and sneak the garage door open to someplace else and come home and go, hey, look there. But I know she'd remember it. It's in my car. So I walked out of there like this. I walked in like this. <laughs> Pam, what? I love you. <laughs> and I'm such an idiot, which she didn't deny. <laughs> and then I waited for the power. 
the power to bring lake effect into our house, (laughs) even in July. It can get so cold if she wants it to. Instead, she just smiled at me and said, that's good. Have a great day. (laughs) What do you mean by that? (laughs) So I got in my car and left. And she has never, ever mentioned it. Now you're saying, yeah, but wait. No. Because what I was reminded of again at that moment is that her love is even greater than her power. Jesus didn't rise from the grave and then suspend himself over Jerusalem and say, I am God. You messed up. You will die. <laughs> he didn't even call a mass gathering. Do you know what he did? The people that felt so bad and even felt so guilty and were afraid of his power. He went to be with them individually. Two guys were walking to a place called Emmaus and he shows up and they don't recognize him. He just doesn't let himself be seen at that moment in the way that they will recognize. And as they walk, they're so discouraged. They say, oh, the Messiah has died. And and he says, but wait a minute, haven't the scriptures told you this? And he begins to tell them the scriptures and they begin to get encouraged. And then they get to their place and he starts to walk off and they say, no, 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 no. Come have lunch with us. And when he breaks bread, suddenly their eyes are open. They go, Messiah. And then they say this, didn't our hearts burn when he talked to us? You know what that was? It wasn't power, it was love. It was burning inside and they just drew to him. They went back and told the disciples who were still locked up behind closed doors because they were just freaked out. Even though some have already seen Jesus, they're just not believing it. So Jesus just appears in the room. And and he begins to talk to them and, and he says, you guys, you, you're just, you know, he doesn't yell at him. He just says, you, you don't believe it's really me and you think I'm a ghost. So just give me that stuff to eat. I'll eat it and just show you that it's a resurrected body. And by the time he gets done, they're encouraged. There's one guy that's not there. His name is Thomas. And, and, and they tell him and he says, unless I, unless I touch the, the scars, it's just not real. He's so skeptical. Jesus doesn't show up again to him. He does, but he doesn't say this to him. How dare you? You don't believe it. And he doesn't. He just says, come here, come here, come here. here. Take your hands and just just touch the scars. Come here, right here. Touch the scars. So you may be a skeptic here today. And he's not chasing you down, screaming at you. He's saying to you, just get with me and touch my scars. I'll show you. I'll show you. Peter had messed it up royal, denied three times. Just felt like a failure. And Jesus, instead of of screaming at him and and saying, you're scum or or, you're going to be in second place from this point on, he, he puts together this breakfast on the beach. And with his friends around, he rehabs them right in front of those guys and says, okay, I trust you. Go ahead and do the stuff I, I wanted you to do in the first place. His power will convince you. It will. It convinced 500 people. They saw him. His power will convince you, but his love, his love will change you. So whether you're a disciple, a Pharisee, a Roman soldier, the power, you get hold of his power, it's going to convince you. I'm telling you, it'll convince you. But that love will change you and that love will always ask you this question. Always. It's always been the question. Do you believe? Grandfather, 
Mother made you some soup. See if you can eat a little. You need to eat something. Thank you, child. Just, just sit with me and rest for a while. Just rest. Let me feed you some of this. It's actually pretty good. Not now, Sarah. Not now. Maybe later. Just, just rest with me for a while. I'm an old man now, Sarah. I, I don't have much time left. The gods say a man knows his time. The, the, the gods also give more time to those who strive. Now that may be, but I'm just so tired. Now look, when I'm gone, this estate will be yours. You need to take care of your mother. You now shouldn't make sure... talk this way. It's like you're giving up, and I don't like it. Neither does your mother. So I honor her request, but you must grant me mine. Would you deny your grandfather the chance to speak his mind before he passes and no one remember him again? Grandfather. Who could forget you? A man, after his own craft and hard work, built the largest villa in Damascus. Grandfather, you are a man It's who... not the largest, Sarah. And it wasn't just hard work. What do you mean? There's a story behind this villa, my child. A story whose time has, I believe, finally come. Sit down. We moved here, what is it now, 50 years ago? Long before you were born. Grandfather, I've heard this story. You bought the land and then you planted the vineyard. Yes. Because you wanted to grow the best grapes in the valley. No. No, Sarah. I, I always wanted to be a soldier. A soldier? Then why didn't you do that? I did. You were a soldier? When? From the time I was not much older than you until I was 26. I was almost a centurion. I... I would have been Where? Where were you a soldier? In Judea. I was stationed in Jerusalem. Why, why didn't you ever tell me this? I'm telling you now. Here. Here, read. Read this. What, what is this? Just read. Discharge from the service of Flavius Arstobulus? My centurion. You were discharged? Why? Sarah, that's just read, child. Dereliction of duty. Grandfather, Grandfather, what did you do? It's a long story. It's, it's a story I've held too long. We were, we were called up for century duty one morning. I, I was late for inspection the day before, and when I heard a century detail was being assigned, I knew I'd be chosen. It wasn't that it was particularly hard. No, just, just boring. We knew we'd be standing in place for a long time. My feet are killing me. Oh, tell me about it. How long do we have to be out here? Till the next shift. Three hours. This is so pointless. We're standing here Guarding a tomb. I've guarded a lot of things before, but never a tomb. I mean, what harm can a dead guy do? The dead guy is not the problem. Oh, I know, I know. His followers might come and steal the body. That makes a lot of sense. Didn't you read the reports? I scanned them. The guy made some sort of prophecy about coming back from the dead. Somebody wants to make sure that doesn't happen. Oh, like we could stop it. Well, we could stop anyone for faking it. As long as the body's here... So the body's like... Insurance. 
anybody claims anything strange, but we just bring out the body. And how long does this go on for? Until uh, the threat dies down. So you think there is a threat? Huh. Hardly. The report said that well, the guy only had a dozen or so followers, mostly fishermen, Galileans. And nobody's seen anything of them since he's been arrested. Well, if there's any fishermen out there coming for this body, look out! <laughs> You'll have to face the cream of the Judean region. <laughs> A well-honed fighting force! A lean, mean, tomb-guarding machine. I guess we're safe now. It's getting cold out there. So you were the... I was the loud one. I thought the whole thing was a farce. Jewish bickering and paranoia. I hated to be called in to wake up their fights, but what could I do? Duty was duty. Besides, I had only three hours until sunrise and a new shift. Complaining? Well, it just held past the time. And that got you discharged? No. No, it was what happened next. Oh, come on, son. Why does it take so long for it to actually rise? It's been almost two hours now. I gotta move around or something. Stand still, you're shaking the ground. Hey, I'm getting warmer, all right? I, I said stand still! Don't have to get all. And then it happened. What happened? It turned out it wasn't me shaking the ground. There was sort of an earthquake. The ground itself started rumbling beneath my feet. At the tomb? All around the tomb. Everywhere. It was as if the ground itself was ready to explode. Well, what did you do? We stayed put as best we could until I... Until what? Sarah. Sarah, I have not breathed a word of this from that time till now. Why? Because it could have cost me my life. Child. Child, what I am about to tell you may sound strange, but I swear to you it's the truth. Try and listen now and know that I would not report such strange things unless it you were... You saw two men in white. What did you say? Two men. In white. You saw two men in dazzling white. Who told you this? Mother. It's impossible. I never told her. She, she told me the story. I never told her. I never even told your grandmother. She heard it at the gathering. What gathering? That place she goes in that house two blocks over. She told me the story of Jesus. I think that was his name. A Jew, I think. She told me that he rose from the dead in Jerusalem about, about 50 years ago. And she said that an angel, an angel rolled the stone away, away from, from the, the tomb. tomb. There, there were Roman guards there. They were so terrified. Grandfather, you. Why didn't you say something? I tried. Flavius ran back and I told him the whole story. What is this? Oh, wonderful! Now you've really done it. The body's gone! The cream of Judean regiment can't even secure a grave. Oh, this is great. Wait till your commander hears of this. Elite Roman commandos defeated by four overweight fishermen with swords. No. no sir. It was not fishermen. It was a light, a dazzling light. The earth shook. There were two men in white. 
I swear to you, silence! Blaming your incompetence on angels? I would have expected better of you. You failed at this simple task. The disciples did not steal the body. Oh, sure they didn't. And you didn't fall asleep either. It was angels. I swear to you. Do I need to remind you of the consequences of failure at this scale? No, don't you think I know them? That's why I'm telling you first, so you can back up my story when uh, it gets to Pilate. I'm afraid you're sadly mistaken. I won't vouch for your so-called vision. Then what are we going to do? Tell the truth! This is the truth! Oh, and around and around we go. Do you expect your centurion to believe that you were beaten back by angels? See, you're in a difficult situation here. You say it was angels. Nobody's going to believe you. You say it was his followers. You'll be court-martialed and probably executed. Unless. Unless what? So we made a deal. We would put out their version of the story that... Disciples stealing the body. And when it came time for court-martial, they would pull some strings, get us at least dishonorably discharged, but no threat to our lives. And you went along with that? I didn't want to, but I was trapped. Nobody would believe the truth. And then, and then they sweetened the deal. 2,000 denarii. You disappear and never breathe a word of your angel vision again. Deal? Deal. So I took the discharge and the money. That was more money than I could make in five years. And I moved to Damascus for a fresh start. And you planted the vineyard. And I planted the vineyard. And I met your grandmother. And I thought nobody would know the truth until I was ready to tell it. But now I find out everybody knows. Your mother living under the same roof, she knows. Grandfather, you were there that morning. What happened? Is it all true? What does your mother say? She says he appeared to his disciples. And then to 500 others. Some, some are still alive. One, one was there in Damascus not even two weeks ago. Grandfather, you were there. What happened? There was light. There was an earthquake, two men in white. That much I know. I didn't see anything else. What if, what if he really did rise from the dead? Grandfather, you need to go to that house, that gathering. Tell them the story. They'll believe you. How do you know? Because I've been there once. I, I can tell. They'll believe you. If they did believe me, they should hate me. If they didn't, I'd just be an old man who heard a story from someone who heard a story. Well, then at least tell mother. Why? Grandfather, she goes to that house. They, they worship. And they break bread. And they sing. How do they sing? And they drink from this, this, this common cup. And they tell this very story that you just told me. She's afraid to tell you because she thinks you wouldn't approve. She's afraid you'll think she's crazy for believing such a thing. That a man, a man has risen from the dead. And I'm supposed to tell her? I'm the soldier in the story? Her father, the liar? That I'm the one who conspired to cover up the truth. That I raised her on a vineyard planted with dirty money. 
that her own father lived a despicable life? Yes, tell her that. I told you the truth. I can die with a clear conscience. When I've gone, tell her whatever you think is best. But she should hear it from you, grandfather. Don't you see it? None of that matters. You said it yourself. The truth went on in spite of you. You didn't stop anything. Your story didn't even work. But now, while you still have breath, grandfather, tell her, tell her the story that you've never been allowed to tell. Tell her that it's all true. She already knows it's true. I can't make it any more true. Well, then tell her that you were there. <sighs> Grandfather, tell her that you believe. I mean, you do believe, right? Grandfather, you were there. You believe, don't you? That's the question she asked. And it's always the question that must be answered. She said, the truth went on in spite of you. And you see, I'm going to tell you, the resurrection power will continue to interrupt bad endings. And you're going to encounter that power. And 500 did. And they said, oh, yeah, we believe. But you will encounter that power. And it may even frighten you. See, that's what religion does. Religion tells you that God is after you. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then he will squash you. But this is not religion. This is love. Because with all that power, there comes a presence. And his love is greater than that power. And so it always brings us back to that question. Do you believe? So several weeks back. A young lady connects with this community of faith. She says, I've just had this encounter. With the power of God. They tell me it's Jesus. Will you tell me about him? You see, she's convinced. But will she be changed? I asked to share her story with you this morning. She gave me that permission and actually wrote this for us this morning. So let me tell you. She says, I've suffered with an eating disorder, horrible nightmares and thoughts off and on since childhood after I was raped. I lost a good portion of my childhood and my free childlike spirit. I lost being a fun, carefree teenager. I never went to any dances or did anything outside of school with peers, but instead isolated myself. And instead of being out late, getting yelled at by my parents for coming home late, I was there lying in bed, crying myself to sleep night after night. There was one thing I found I enjoyed, though, and that was helping others. So I decided to go to college for nursing and accomplished one of the greatest things in my life, and that was getting my nursing license. Now, during college, I had not only a roommate, but also a housemate who did not know one another, but were both very spiritual. 
and they loved going to church and reading the Bible. I thought they were crazy. And they tried to get me to go to church with them and even touch a Bible, but I wasn't having anything to do with it. There was no way I was going to be some happy, crazy, good church girl in this horrible world. After I graduated from college, I chose to go to work as a nurse in a small town close to my college. I loved being a nurse and helping people. And at that point, she then goes on to talk about the fact that someone in her work became jealous after her and her position and her work. And so they connived a way to get her fired and actually have her certification removed. And it shattered her life. She said, I was so devastated. I had lost what I had worked so hard to achieve and loved doing. At this time in my life, I had a lot of other things happening. And in desperation for it to all end, one day I was lying in bed with horrible thoughts and flashbacks going through my head as I began to swallow what would become an entire bottle of 450 extra strength Tylenol. I was found unconscious by my landlord who was coming over for his rent money. I was in a coma for five days and woke up in the transplant ICU at UPMC awaiting a liver transplant because my liver had failed. Normal liver, liver enzymes were 40 to 50, and mine were in the 9,000s. There was no way I was going to survive without a transplant. My college housemate had moved to Pittsburgh and was working in UPMC when she saw my name on the patient list and decided to visit. After talking to my doctors and getting an understanding of my case, she walked in the room and closed the door behind her. She said to me, they don't know if you're going to have a transplant soon enough because of your blood type. And even if you do get a transplant, your body may still reject it. So I know you don't understand, but there's only one thing we can do now. She then placed her hands over my liver and began praying for my healing. And tears were just flowing out of her eyes as she was talking to God. I just laid there wondering why I was still alive and wishing I wasn't at the same time she was praying for healing. Every 30 minutes, they were drawing blood, and with each new lab test, my liver enzymes were getting higher and higher. 30 minutes after my friend had prayed, they came again to get more blood, and this time the doctor came in the room and showed me the results. Within 30 minutes from that time, my enzymes went from in the 9,000s to in the 5,000s, which is clinically impossible. Over the next 24 hours, my liver enzymes went back to completely normal without any new medications or treatments. My liver had stopped working and was now like new again. The doctors ordered lab tests every 15 minutes because they couldn't understand and thought the lab was making a mistake. I am now in two research studies because the, physician are still, the physicians are still befuddled and don't understand. They tell me I must have been so lucky, something they have never seen before. But I know it's something different than luck. God chose to give me a second chance. I now believe because I know how impossible this medical case was. They tried to put me on antidepressants, but I refused because I don't need them once I had God. And this Easter, April 12th, will be my 23rd birthday. And the last time my birthday was on Easter when I was, was when I was six. And also when I had a free spirit. I had joy. I loved. I dreamed. I was happy. And this is the first since my childhood that this Easter I can experience those same feelings because God loves me and I love him and now have his joy and his gifts. That's why we celebrate Easter. You see, his power will convince you. But his love will change you. That's why we celebrate, because his love guarantees it. His resurrection seals it. So this morning, the question is this, do you believe? His power has revealed himself to 500 people in that 40-day period. His power is still seen, his power was seen in the life of this girl. His power is for you, but his love is even greater than his power. And what you simply need to do today is just say, Jesus, I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to have that connection of life with you. I may not understand it all, but I'm ready to journey with you. Oh, she's still in a journey. She's still trying to understand Jesus, but she's drawing closer and understanding that love. And so I want to invite you just even right now, just to say, Jesus, I want to begin that journey with you. I want to pray for you. Father, 
In Jesus' name, we've gathered. What a great story. It's so true. Thank you that your love is so great. And so for those who are making a decision right now, I ask that it will press deep into them and they will take that step of faith that will change their life. So I give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If this morning you'd like to know more about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I invite you to stop by our information desk in the lobby. It'll tell you more about Jesus and that journey that you want to walk. It's a free gift to you, so please stop by and talk to those friends. I'll pray with you and answer any questions you have. I want to also tell you this, that this Messiah that we began to understand today, we're going to study more about him in the, in the weeks to come. So join us on Sunday morning right here at 10 o'clock, and we're going to continue that study of the Messiah. It'll surprise you what he's like and what he wants to do in your life. Now, we have an Easter tradition here. We have an Easter tradition that we declare so that all can hear. And that Easter tradition is that we say Christ has risen, and I say Christ has risen, and you say he has risen indeed. So we're going to make that declaration here in just a moment. And then following that declaration, we're going to have a song of worship and we're going to party. We're going to celebrate. And then you, uh, 25% of you that are partiers, this is your time. You jump in there. So will you please stand? Now, before we get to Christ has risen, he's risen indeed, we've got to just say it one more time because this is, this is the slogan for Easter, and especially for us today. You ready? It's not over even when it's over. Okay, now, come on. You can do better than that. Let's pretend like the Cleveland Indians actually have won a game. You ready? <laughs> say it with me. It's not over even when it's over. All right, now we're ready. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen.
eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Forever, I will never be the same.